On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, someone from the Brady Bunch gets decapitated in Vermont, and Jessica has to solve their murder in an unintentionally hilarious favorite episode of mine. Hello and welcome to the Murder, She Wrote podcast, where we watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder, She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and six-time Tony Award winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 11, Night of the Headless Horseman, air date January 4th, 1987. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murderer, the suspects, everything in between. You cannot do a murder show podcast without doing that. So if you've not recently seen this episode, do what you do. If you own the DVDs like I do, get out your season three. Disc set, insert, disc three into your DVD player. And this is the third episode on that disc. If you don't own the DVDs, all, all 12 seasons are currently streaming for free on the Roku channel, as well as the four TV movies that preceded Murder, She Wrote when it ended in 1996. Also, to all 12 seasons are currently streaming on NBC's Peacock app, but unfortunately they're no longer free. If you want to watch Murder, She Wrote, you have to, on there, you have to pay $5 each month. It's $4.99, but plus tax, it's $5. And no, they did not pay me to tell you that. I'm just telling you that out of, cur- out of a cur- courtesy. Um, seasons 1 through 5 are currently streaming on Freebie, formerly IMDb TV app. All right. I can't believe it's the month of Halloween, and I totally meant to record this episode before then, but I've been uh, doing this and that, but as always, I'm still committed to the podcast. And this is a great episode to start off with for the month of Halloween, because it concerns the Night of the Headless Horseman, which in turn is almost like a tribute to Sleepy Hollow, the story which i love and i absolutely love this episode it's unintentionally hilarious and when i say unintentionally hilarious what i mean is is that they did not obviously intend for this to be hilarious just like they did not intend it's a dog life it's a dog's life to be hilarious because they were playing it straight but obviously it was just hilarious. It, it totally was. I could not get through recording that episode without laughing, as you all know. But, th- but like, another example when I think of things being unintentionally hilarious is, unfortunately, Mommy Dearest. I mean, we can all agree... We can all agree, so sorry about that computer making noises i can't edit that out anyway we can all agree that faith dunaway did a very good job um with the role of joan crawford but was a little over the top in some points which made it unintentionally hilarious there you go and i can't think of any oh yeah and the buffy vam buffy the vampire slayer of the movie was unintentionally hilarious they're probably many examples out there of that but this one's definitely definitely up there and uh pushing up roses one of my favorite youtubers who frequently does videos on murder she wrote also covered this episode no she did not ask me to promote her but i am because i think she's so freaking awesome so go check out her interpretation of this episode just go on YouTube, search Pushing Up Roses, and she will pop up, and you will not 
be sorry that I told you about her because she's hilarious. So, before we get into this episode, I wanted to speak a little bit about the passing of Loretta Lynn. I grew up with her music. My mother and my aunt would often sing Coal Miner's Daughter on karaoke. And she was such a phenomenal singer. She did not get into acting. She stuck to singing. And I thought that was great. And she threw out it all despite becoming big and rich and all that stuff. She stuck to her roots and stayed true to herself. And if your eyes are on her, you were looking at country. So I absolutely loved her as the world did, and I hope she's at peace now, and she got to be reunited with her husband and her son, and also Patsy Cline, because they were the bestest of friends. So absolutely, may she rest in peace. Alright, so, and the weather has been so wonderful here. Like, this is my kind of weather. Like, this is the weather that I thrive in. You know, this is like the weather that I absolutely love because I know people say I'm weird, but because I'm from Ohio and the cold doesn't bother me, which of course that phrase will never ever be reusable since they, they took it in frozen. But I mean, I do love the cold to a certain degree. Like I don't like it when it's in the twenties or the teens, but like the sixties, the fifties, the forties, the thirties. Yeah, that is my kind of weather. Um, and it's been really great outside, and I can't believe the leaves are already falling, and Halloween is coming, and and I just love it. I just love this time of year. And, and this episode is perfect to start off your Halloween season, because Christmas is in December. It's not in October. It's not in November. It's in December. I wish that people would remember this. I really do. Let's not rush things, okay? Alright, so let's get into this episode. I absolutely love this episode. Alright, so we start off with our main character, Dorian. Dorian Beecher is talking to his love Sarah DuPont and the way they're talking it doesn't feel like this is 1987 or 1986 oh yeah yeah um we're in 1987 and and me your host Donald Craig the second aka DJ Craig like I like to be called but for some reason Spotify won't let me change it um was not born until 1989 and let's see what what movies rounded out the end of the year of December 1986 and started in January 1987? Because I love doing that. It's fun. And then we'll get into the, to the thing. So in the last episode, when it aired on December 14, 1986, it aired the same night as Smoky Mountain Christmas, which is a really, and the Christmas star. Rounding out the next month, or the next week, was Babes in Toyland with Drew Barrymore and Keanu Reeves, Dogs in Space, I have no idea, Little Shop of Horrors, well, who knew? I did not know that came out um, in December of 1986. I had no idea. Um, King Kong Lives, Dragon Ball. I didn't know Dragon Ball Z was pretty much that old. Um, the Morning After came out on Christmas Day, which does not look like a good film to come out on Christmas Day. Um, let's see. Hold on, it's loading. Uh, Witchboard came out on the 31st of December. Something called Bang and Wisdom with Demi Moore. Ooh, and the, on January 1st, 
the Jetsons meet, the Flintstones came out. I absolutely loved that. And apparently there was another Planet of the Apes movie called Time of the Apes. Which I don't I don't know if that was part of that, but I'm assuming because it looks like it was. So that sort of gives us an idea of what was released around the time. Like the Stefford Children was released on TV. Blood Harvest. Uh-huh. And Barbie movies and Twisted Nightmare. Alright, let's let's go to to eighty-seven and see what was released in January. So many good films. Scooby Doo oh I hit the wrong button. Hold on. Technical difficulties. People always have them. Alright. So January 1st, because this episode aired on January 4th. So we'll find out what was going on. frenzy yikes backwoods night scream so many horror films i haven't seen but i would love to shallow grave twisters revenge i have no idea meatballs three okay so around the fourth and uh, <laughs> on on the same day that this episode aired there was something called the nail gun massacre on january 4th 1987 um i'm gonna check this out like who was in this because it says it's cheaper than a chainsaw oh my god i wish that i could oh wow this is forget about that that guy with the chainsaw and start worrying about the deranged nail gun killer following the brutal rape of a young woman by a gang of construction workers, a mysterious figure wearing a motorcycle helmet and driving a gold purse begins haunting the proprietors down. The masked Avenger's weapon of choice obviously is a nail gun with which he, or could it be she, takes out the rapists one by one. Just who is the murderous vigilante? Wow. Wow. And apparently there's nobody, there's nobody in this film that I he have ever heard of. I would love to find this, but I'm sure it's like never been released on DVD. That is amazing, isn't it? That is just simply amazing. I've never heard of that. All right. So now we know what movie was obviously popular on January 4th, 1987. You know, can't believe that we're already in 1987. So Happy New Year, technically. Um, I mean, though, this episode technically aired like what? Okay, let's think. Christmas Eve is the 24th of December and the 25th, obviously. So this aired literally... Not that long after Christmas and not that long after New Year's. This episode feels like it should have been released in October of 1986, not on January 4th, 1987. I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder how they promoted this, but finding promos that used to be on, on TV back then is really hard, especially, you know, Murder, She Wrote promos. But uh, I wonder how they marketed this. Because this episode, considering who's guest starring in it, a person from the Brady Bunch, as I said, you would think this is highly promoted because this is a huge deal. All right. So anyway, 
Dorian and and Sarah are standing on the porch and they're just, he's reciting poetry to her. And it feels like we're in like the 1800s or the 1700s with like the outfit she's wearing and the way that she's reacting to the poetry and the way that he's reciting it is just really weird. And uh, she says, did you write that poem just for me? And he says, yes, he did. He probably didn't. He's probably copying it off of somebody. But who knows? Anyway, she says, oh, Dorian, which I can't believe they named him Dorian. Like, when I think of Dorian, I think of, like, the main character on One Life to Live, Dorian, Lord, who was always causing problems for Vicky. I mean, it was amazing. That was, like, the one universal thing I knew about One Life to Live because I didn't really watch it and neither did my grandma or or any mem any people in my family. But I've, se I've seen a couple episodes on YouTube. And, yeah, that's when, I, when you hear Dorian, that's what I think of. That's where my mind automatically goes. But she says, Dorian, I'm so glad that your mom is coming tomorrow. And then we can finally be together. Because you know how father wants ancestry, likes ancestry, and being able to track down one's family. And it's like, uh, what? You know? <laughs> oh my goodness. And uh, he says, yes. So as he's walking home, somebody dresses in the Headless Horseman costume rides by and throws a lit pumpkin at him. And he goes, Damn you, Nate Finley! <laughs> we'll find out who Nate Finley is a little bit later. So we cut to the next day. Jessica is arriving via train. We're in Vermont. And uh, Dorian is one of her old friends. Not, his ne not her nephew, not anything. Just an old friend. And she's come to visit him because he's begged her via telegram to come see him. So she shows up and while at the train station, she meets the town dentist who everyone calls Doc. And as they're about to leave, he says, it was nice to meet you, Mrs. Beecham. So as they're driving down the road, um, she goes, Dorian, why did he call me Mrs. Beecham? And uh, he starts saying, what can I tell you, Jessica? I'm in love. And the girl that I'm in love with, her father, is just so mean. He wants ancestry. And me being adopted, I don't know who my mother and father was. So I figured you wouldn't mind pretending to be my mom. Surprise. <laughs> And she reluctantly goes along with it. And she, and he says, yeah, but another problem is her pesky ex-boyfriend, Ned Finley. And as if on cue, here he is on a horse, Ned Finley. And he's none other than Barry Williams, who played Greg Brady on The Brady Bunch. Womp, womp, womp. Oh, boy. He just randomly shows up and in the middle of the road laughs and rides his horse off. Meanwhile, they arrive at Kent Academy for Boys, a private school, and the gates look like the exterior shot from It's a Dog's Life, I kid you not, with that over with that overlapping over top of it. So the horses have gotten out and Mr. Hood's daughter, the um, caretaker, is not very happy. Ned Finley shows up and Mr. Hood's daughter thinks it's his fault and he says, no, it's not. While three boys end up laughing in a bush. Dorian explains to Jessica as they're driving through the academy gates that he received this position of English teacher, he says poetry teacher, but I'm saying English teacher because basically same thing, right? 
because the previous one, Gretchen, died in a mysterious automobile accident. She drowned, and she just so happens to be Mr. Hood's daughter's daughter. Womp, womp, womp. It's all connected. Jessica comes in and is introduced as Dorian's mother to Mr. DuPont, Sarah's father. Um, I think his name is Edwin. She also gets introduced to Mrs. Charlotte Newcastle, who is the owner of... who owns the school... And they're all very happy to see them. Then Mr. Hoop's daughter comes in and says that he caught Todd, uh, Robert, and Brandon outside eavesdropping. And these are the only three boys that currently go to the school because they obviously do not have a budget for this episode where they were allowed to hire various extras because as far as we know, they're the only people at this school. Jessica reluctantly goes along. Um, but before her and Dorian come into the room, or before the boys come into the room with Mr. Hoop's daughter, um, basically Mr. DuPont is saying that he wants Ned Finley to stay away from his daughter, Sarah. And they said that Ned is there to help with the horses. So what is Mr. Hoop's daughter supposed to be doing? It doesn't make any sense. So later, after everybody meets each other, we cut to the stable and basically Miss Newcastle tells Ned to satisfy his needs elsewhere. And he says, is that a threat or an offer? Oh my God. That is so cringeworthy. Uh. Meanwhile, we cut to the local bar and we get introduced to the waitress there. Bobby. She's wearing a distinguishedly piece of jewelry and the dentist, Doc, shows up again and he notices the piece of jewelry on Bobby and says, where'd you get that? And she says, Ned Finley gave it to me. So I guess he's dating her too. Anyway, as if on cue, again, Ned shows up and he literally goes up to Dorian and says, you need to stay away from Sarah because I know how to bring a woman to un unboiling unbridled passion what do you know how to do just speak words with poetry in them I mean it was so cringeworthy <laughs> like I was like wow well Dorian just hauls off and hits him he flips over a table manages to get back up he pushes Dorian down and he falls like against a wall that happens to have swords on it for no reason. And he picks one up and then and then Ned picks up like a bottle like they're going to go at each other. And eventually some random extra stops the fight. And Ned is like bleeding because something has happened to his tooth. And Dorian is embarrassed. He throws the, the sword down and he says, I'd like to be alone now and walks out. The next day, Jessica happens to be biking. Oh, yeah. And we notice in the, the restaurant bar that Ned has a really horrible snake tattooed on his arm, which is obviously probably not a real tattoo because... You know, Barry Williams played Greg Brady on the Brady Bunch and they weren't allowed to have tattoos back then. So that was probably painted on or something because it probably was not something that he actually had. Um, but we noticed that. Meanwhile, 
Um, Dorian goes to see Sarah, but he finds her not there. So then he's walking down the street and he hears hoof prints and, or no, as he's walking down the street, some random guys come up and drop a sword at his feet and say, here, fight your invisible ghost, the, the headless horseman, ha ha ha. And then when they drive away, as if on cue, here comes somebody dressed as the headless horseman. Dorian holds the sword out ready to fight, but the horse gets spooked and Dorian falls and hits his head on a rock. <laughs> yep, he totally falls and hits his head on a rock. So then, um, the next day, Jessica's riding her bike through town. And she happens to come across a murder scene. And it turns out that Ned Finley has been decapitated. He's been identified by his snake tattoo. And I feel so bad for Barry Williams here. I mean, poor, I feel so bad for, I feel so bad for Florence Henderson and Robert Reed, who never got the chance to show that they could act in things. It was like two steps forward, three steps back. Because they were the perfect parents. And then poor... The poor boys and girls that was on that show had to be perfect all the time. You know, like poor Eve Plum, who guest starred in season two, was desperately trying to go against type and not be known as Jan Brady. But was always being lowered back to play them. In fact, this, like, the year after this episode aired in 88, there would be a Brady Christmas, which he would be in, Barry Williams would be in, and they didn't want to do the Brady Bunch variety hour, and looking back at it, it's a terrible show. But um, he would do that, and then that same year, they would turn the Brady Bunch into a primetime soap opera and cause Marsha, Marsha, Marsha to have a drinking problem and all the Brady kids to be screwed up in soap opera form. It was so weird, but also surprisingly good. But it didn't last very long because everybody was like, wow, this is dark. So I kind of feel bad for all the people involved on the Brady Bunch. I mean, you get a role in Hollywood that either is going to boost your career or end it, and this was both a blessing and a curse to be a Brady kid and to be the parents. But I mean, they chose that life, but I still feel sorry that they didn't get to show their acting chops. And it's almost hilarious to even see him playing kind of like a villain who is a womanizer. And it's like boosting about his sexual escapades. I mean, it's really weird. I mean, I don't think we even got to see Mr. and Mrs. Brady in bed together, I don't think. But anyway, let's get back to the episode. Sorry, you should be used to me going off the rails at now. I don't know even how many episodes I've done so far. But let's see, combining the season one... And season two on YouTube, which season one and season two have 21 episodes, but I didn't reach the full 21 on season two. I reached to um, the courthouse episode and something else. But if we count, if we don't count those and just count the ones on here, um, 21 in 21, 1 plus 1 is 2, 2 plus 2 is 4. So 41 episodes so far here on the Anchor app. That is an accomplishment to say the least. I mean, I, I, I am absolutely proud of myself. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but thank you so much for listening and your support means the world to me. I love doing this podcast. All right, let's get back into the episode. So the sheriff comes out, 
or lets her into the crime scene and shows him shows her the body and says his head is missing but it's obviously Ned Finley due to the we see the tattoo so that we know it's him well immediately all arrows point to Net, um point to Dorian being the killer Dorian shows up with the headmistress Miss Newcastle and immediately the sheriff arrests him. At the sheriff's office, Jessica says, if Dorian killed him, why would he come back to the scene of the crime? Why would he even decapitate him? And honestly, it, it takes a lot. I mean, seeing the way that Mrs. Voorhees was decapitated, like, I don't know how you would decapitate a person. I don't want to know. I'm not going to look it up on, on Google because Google will think I'm trying to kill somebody. So I'm not going to do that. And I don't really want to know, but it's something you wonder about. Because, you know, after seeing Friday the 13th multiple times, it's like, Mrs. War like, would you really be decapitated like that? And how can you decapitate a person? Um, you don't want to know, but you want to know. But I don't want to know. Anyway, so... <laughs> so, his head is missing. And the sheriff thinks because... He threatened him with a sword at the bar fight that all arrows are pointing to him. And he was also found unconscious with the sword next to him after he passed out with the rock. So, and in her haste to defend him, she says, I'm not his mother. Oops. So now the sheriff is like, well... He lied about his identity, so he obviously is a murderer because murdering someone and lying go hand in hand. <laughs> I don't think so. So Jessica now has to set out to solve Ned's murder. She notices that one of the boys, Todd, um, is constantly hanging around Ned's horse and seems to take a liking to him. And it seems as if the three boys seem to know something. One of them, and one of the things that Jessica notices at the crime scene is that Ned's boots are on the wrong feet. And she wonders why and how that happened. But the sheriff doesn't seem to care. Um, and his name is uh, Sheriff Sam Rakin. Anyway. Jessica decides to solve this murder on her own. Um, word spreads like wildflyer that she is not, in fact, Dorian's mother. So Mr. DuPont gets angry that he was lied to. She questions if Sarah had left because Dorian couldn't find her and that Dorian saw a car being drove away. Mr. DuPont says that he had received a note from someone saying that Miss somebody was embezzling funds at the school and they find out that it's Mr. Hoopsauter. The boys also notice Mr. Hoopsauter bearing something in a burl sack that looks like a head. Eventually, Mrs. Fletcher realizes the boys know something, tracks them down to their hideout, and they basically admit that they've been the ones that's been taunting Dorian with the headless horseman thing, but that they had not done it that night. They also reveal that they saw that one of the boys, who I don't know if it was Brandon or the other one, saw Mr. Hoop's daughter burying something that looked like a head. So they bury they the sheriff digs up the box and discovers the bag is full of money, and Mr. Hoop's daughter has been squandering money from the school. He has basically wanted to hire a private detective to find out who was in the car with his daughter on the night that she died. So Dorian is released after this, and... Mrs. Fletcher does, still does not know 
who killed Ned and Sarah is not allowed to see Dorian at all because her father has forbidden her from doing so. So Dorian sort of like sitting there and goes and eats an olive on a toothpick. And I guess he accidentally chews the toothpick. I'm not entirely sure what happens there, but it's a setup so that Jessica can now talk to the dentist. When she's going through Mr. Hoopstotter's file, she sees a picture of his daughter and sees the same picture of the daughter in the dentist office, in the doc's office. So she puts two and two together, and our killer turns out to be none other than the dentist. The dentist's motivation is that when Dorian hit Ned, he had sort of hurt his tooth, so he had to work on it. Well, when Ned noticed the picture on the desk, he boosted about the fact that he was in the car and basically did not save her and let her drown because he didn't care about her. The doc was, going, was out of town when the accident happened and apparently was going to marry her when they got back. Why she's with Ned is virtually unknown. The doc saw the golden opportunity to kill Ned with a drug. Then, realizing that everybody saw them fight at the bar, he found a perfect opportunity to decapitate him and pin the murder on Dorian, even going as far as dressing up as him so that the waitress at the bar would see him and think he was Ned clowning around. And Dorian thought he was Ned too and had the sword and he knocked him down and had him hit his head on a rock. But here's the thing. The mystery still continues because we have no idea what happened to Ned's head. Eventually, Sarah decides to leave her father because all her father uses her for is a bona fide cook and dishwasher. So, she decides to go off and be independent, saying that Mrs. Fletcher has inspired her, and she wants nothing to do with Dorian because she needs to go out and find herself and be an independent woman. Dorian then tells Mrs. Fletcher that if he ever sends an urgent SOS via telegram, not to come. And basically, the episode ends there. I absolutely love this episode. I find it unintentionally hilarious. The Headless Horseman bit, the fact that Greg Brady gets decapitated. It is absolutely unintentionally hilarious. But where the hell did he put his head? I mean, did it end up in eight heads in a duffel bag? I mean, seriously, what happened to his head? I don't understand it. What happened? I have so many questions, but it's okay. Um, I love this episode, and it's a great way to start off Halloween, the month of Halloween. And I hope everybody's having a spooky time. I love this. All right, let's go over the guest stars. Dorian Beecher, Bleacher was played by Thorn Bray. And he looked familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place him. He is still with us. He is known for Prince of Darkness, 1987. Deep Star 6, 1989. Nash Bridges, 2000-2001. And The Prowler, 1981. Maybe The Prowler. It's quite possible. Last known credit, Leverage, in 2012. The District, Hearts of Fire, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon series, New Kids on the Block cartoon series, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon series. Isn't that interesting? Harry, I don't know, a TV show. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He's in Riptide. Um, TV show, The Love Bow. Quincy M.E., One Day at a Time, as Hal, Remington Steel, Private Benjamin TV show, Lou Grant, and his first known credit is something, a TV show called Breaking Away from 1980 to 81. Huh, 
It probably was The Prowler. I remember seeing that movie. He probably was in it. Sarah DuPont was played by Carlene Cricket. Crockett? Sorry, Crockett. She's still with us, but I don't think she's been in a lot of things. She's known for Dallas, the original Dallas, as Miriam Gillis from 79 to 83. Return, 1985, Quincy M.E., and The Twilight Zone. She's only been in 28 things. Last known credit, The Collapsing Wall in 2005. And she was in Malice, everyone, as Barbara. But she looked completely different in this episode, but this is her last episode of Murder, She Wrote. She was in Return to Mayberry, um, The Twilight Zone as the Invisible Woman, <laughs> um, Family Ties, Trapper John M.D., Call to Glory, Boone, um, Dallas, After School Special, Fantasy Island, Alice, Death of a Centerfold, the Dorian Stratton story, Vegas, and her first known credit is Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker in 1979. Wow. The waitress, Bobby, was played by Judy Landers. She's also still with us. She, oh, she will have her birthday tomorrow on October 7th. So happy birthday, Miss Landers. I hope you have a wonderful day. You probably won't listen to this, but figured I'd wish you a happy birthday anyway. She's known for Armed and Dangerous, 1986, Knight Rider, Stewardess School, 1996, and Dr. Alien, 1989. <laughs> Last known credit is in 2019 and Manipulated and Christmas Spirit. Okay. Murphy's Law, Night Court, Love Boat, Alf. This is her only episode of Murder, she wrote. L.A. Law, The A-Team, Knight Rider, Fantasy Island, The Hitchhiker TV Show, Madam's Place, I have no idea, BJ and the Bear, Chips, Buck Rogers in the 20th Century, Love of Life, Charlie's Angels, The Jeffersons, Vegas, um... What Really Happened to the Class of 68, Happy Days, and her first known credit is something called the Yum Yum Girls. I have no idea. All right. Hope Lang played Mrs. Newcastle, which I realize now that was a last name used in the Corned Beef and Cabbage episode, but I'm sure she has no connection to them. She died in 2003. At the age of 70. She is known for Death Wish, 1974, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, 1985, Blue Velvet, 1986, and Clear in Present Danger, 1994. I recognized her as the mom. I think she was the mom. I'm not even sure, but that was a good. Her last known credit is Blue Velvet Lost Footage, 2014. And I will say one thing right here. Um, about Blue Velvet. You know how people often tell you, oh, this is something you should watch. Well, without giving too much away, the movie was not my cup of tea and I couldn't get past a couple certain things and watch it all the way through. Anyway, Miss Lander, uh, Miss, um, Lang, Hope Lang, uh, will guest star in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1993. So we'll go over her guest starring roles then after we see her in that episode. Doug McCrew. Doug McCrew played our sheriff. He died in 1995 at the age of 59. He's known for Maverick, 1994, The Virginian. TV show, um, and The Land That Time Forgot, 1974. Last known credit, One West Walkie, I have no idea. Blake's Law, uh, In the Heat of the Night, Madlock, The Gambler Returns, The Luck of the Draw, Out of This World, 
Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents Superboy about Superman. And he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote. Steal Me a Story in 1997. So that should be coming up. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles then. Charles Serbert, Siebert played our murderer. Oh, he died this year. At the age of 84, on May 1st, may you rest in peace, sir. He is known for Injustice for All, 1979, Trapper John, M.D., 79-86, Coma, 1976, and Man FBI, 1989-90. His last known credit is Xenon, Warrior Princess, and he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 87 in 1994. So we'll go over his guest starring roles then. Guy Stockwell played Mr. Van Stotter. He died in 2002 at the age of 86. I mean 68. So sorry that I aged you rapidly there, dude. It didn't load right. He is known for The Warlord, 1965. Quantum Leap, 1989. Airport 75 and B E A U G E S T E. Have no idea how to say that, but there you go. Last known credit Columbo as club owner, and he will appear in two other episodes of Murder She Wrote, so we'll go over his guest starring roles then. Sorry, having some technical difficulties here. It's loading now. Alright. Um, Edwin DuPont was played by Fritz Weaver. He looked familiar. Can't place him. He died in 2016 at the age of 90. He's known for The Thomas Clown Affair, 1999. Creepshow, 1992. Marathon Man, 1976. This Must Be the Place, 2011. Last known credit, the congressman in 2016, who was in the original Law and Order from 91 to 2005, narrated two biographies. He was on Fraser, The X-Files, L.A. Law, All My Children as Hugo Merrick in 92. It's possible. I did see some episodes on YouTube from that time, but I'm not sure. Madlock. Friday the 13th, the series, One Life to Live. Oh, he played the judge in Tough Guys Don't Die. And he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1997 called A Fashionable, A Fashionable Way to Die. So we'll go over more of his guest starring roles then. And that'll be his last episode. Barry Williams played the role of Ned Finley, our murder victim. He just had a, his birthday on September 30th, so happy belated birthday, Mr. Williams. Hope it was good. He's known for The Brady Bunch, 1959-74. to 74. The Brady Bunch Variety Hour, 76-77. Mission Impossible and Mega Piranha, 2009. He is filming something called Hardliner. I have no idea. The Real Brady Bros, he's in a podcast. Blending Christmas. He guest started an ant farm. Did some voiceover work for The Loud House. Was in Scrubs, that 70s show, according to Jim. Hollywood 7, have no idea what that was, in 2001. He had a cameo in the Brady Bunch movie. He was in Full House. He was in The Brady's. The Soap Opera, Very Brady Christmas. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Highway to Heaven, Three's Company, The Brady Girls Get Married, Greatest Heroes of the Bible, Police Woman, um, 
in the cartoon series The Brady Kids, the ABC Superstar movie The Brady Kids on Mysterious Island cartoon, Marcus Welby, MD, Adam 12, It Takes a Thief, Here Comes the Bride, Mod Squad, Gomer Pie, USMC, um, That Girl, The Invaders, Dar Darnett, 1967, and his first known credit is General Hospital in 1963. Wow. But no footage of him on that show probably exists because that's when the show first started. Todd was played by Brandon Douglas, and I think I recognized him for being the pilot episode of the original 21 Jump Street TV show. He is known for Falcon Crest, the 1988-89 Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Papa Was a Preacher, 1989, and 21 Jump Street. Last known credit, Dr. Quinn Morphine Woman with Jane Seymour, Commander-in-Chief, Jag. He played Dr. Andrew Cook on there. The Wonderful World of Disney, The Growing Pains Movie. Okay. Um, he will be in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1996. So we'll go over his guest starring roles then. And... Donald Thompson played Robert, one of the boys that was with him. He's still with us. He's known for Bachelor Party, 1984, Different Strokes, 1985, the Fall Guy, 1984, and The A-Team. He was only in 14 credits. Last credit is Elvis TV show, Out of This World. Um, convicted a mother's story, but it doesn't say who he played. Highway to Heaven, uh, Shattered Bowels, The Jesse Owens Story, and McDonald Land was his first credit. So he wasn't in a lot of stuff. And Adam Ferris played Brandon. He's just known for Murder, She Wrote, and The Twilight Zone. And hasn't been in anything else. Sad. Alright, that's all our guest stars. I loved this episode. I hope you guys did too. Um, it's a great episode to start off the Halloween season. And I can't believe how many great movies was released in 1997. And... We're moving along because I uh, got one more episode left on disc three. The Corpse Flew First Class and then I can go on the next disc. We're getting it done. And season three is not going to take the whole rest of the year, I promise. All right. Have a great day and night, depending on when you listen to this. Um, I hope everyone is having a wonderful fall season. Happy crime solving. And I'll see you in the next one. Oh, yes. And I pray for peace every night when my head hits the pillow.